There's another side to good health, and that's good mental health. Happy Masters Week. Yeah, that's always the big celebration, yes. Appreciate you taking some time in the middle of your Saturday or Friday. God, what day is it? <laughs> you bet. Well, it, it, it's perfect timing because Colin just uh, just finished uh, about 20 minutes ago, so we're all good. So. All right, cool. Fellow three stripesman. He had a great day, too. Yeah, it was another solid uh, 69, and uh, he's in contention. That's all, we, uh, that's all we hope for for the weekend. Yes. I'm curious, as a coach you probably watch tournaments like this a little differently than your average viewer what what kinds of things are you looking for especially when you see somebody like Colin play on broadcast what are you what are you looking out for and is there any part of you that can actually just sit back and enjoy the masters as a broadcast or are you in work mode no, I, I mean, I can enjoy it when he's not playing. I mean, I still enjoy it when he's playing, but, uh, you know, for the rest of this afternoon, I may watch the broadcast just to, as a fan, but I think what's great about having the Masters app and having every single one of his shots being actually recorded is that you can look back and look at combinations like later tonight, I'll speak with him and, and ask him about either decision-making or it might be a, a certain swing that I saw that, uh, you know, a pattern that we, we may have seen that is very, very helpful now that the technology is so good and streaming is so good. I can basically see every single shot he hits in some of these majors or the players championship. So, um, yeah, from my end, it's, it's still, it's still work mode and until the final putt drops for him on, on Sunday. Do you have like, um, like NFL Sunday, you see the, you know, defensive line coaches have a different (laughs) view of the, (laughs) have a different view of the field than the rest of us watching on, you know, CBS, NBC. Do you get the iPad? Can you see, you know, uh, are you, are you, are you watching it from like an analytical standpoint like that? Yeah, caddy cam. Like the rest of us. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, I'm, I'm calling swing coach and mental coach. So I do look at it from, from different perspectives and, uh, be, this is the first masters that I have not been with him. So I was at his other three masters. I've walked the grounds. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the, the differences as far as, uh, the slopes and the greens and all those things that I can now, you don't get that same nuance when you're looking at it on video. Uh, so it, it I do look at it from both ends. And that's why I said when, when we reconnect this evening, uh, it'll be about me seeing a certain shot and say, Hey, what was going through your mind? That's the mental side of me. And then there's the physical of, oh, I noticed that this ball went over here. Was that a swing error? Was that a mental error? And um, and then we can kind of clean those things up as he goes into the weekend. It sounds like you're going to speak to him tonight after he gets home from the golf course and maybe has a chance to unpack and reflect on on his round today. But is that typical for you when you're working with clients, Colin or otherwise, to be as high touch as that on the phone every day? Or is it Sometimes you don't speak to a, a player for upwards of a couple weeks, maybe because that's their preference. Yeah, it's a good question because each person is different. Um, I've been Collins coach since he's eight years old. So when when you look at um, we kind of know the rhythm of what works best for us. Uh, a major week is is different than other weeks. Uh, you know, I go probably to every third event with him. So I am on from you know Monday through Friday, I'm usually there uh, every third event. Um, in between events, we certainly are talking every two to three days. Uh, at a major week, we're going to talk every single day. Um, other players are going to be different as far as what their needs are. Uh, Colin is, I would call him a low maintenance uh, type of player. 
Uh, one, we already know his patterns and such. Um, he doesn't need a lot. Some of those conversations are five minutes long. Sometimes they're 20 minutes long. Uh, other players, I work with some very, very good college players that they might need a little more support. They may need a little bit more of, you know, day in and day out, a text here or a text there. Uh, but that it's also overwhelming with the amount of clients I have to be able to be a high touch for every, every, every single one of the juniors and college players and pros that I work with. So this is the Group Golf Therapy Podcast. And and I think if the three of us were to sum up the reason that this podcast exists in the first place is, you know, we've heard for years and years and years that golf is 90% mental. Some people say it's 99% mental. And our theory is, if that's the premise, then we have a lot to talk about. Until recently, a lot of the mental side of the game has gone untalked about. And when you, uh, Rick, talk about being not just a, a performance coach, but a mental performance coach, I'm curious if you can help us explain what exactly that means for you, in both in practice, but but also in theory, like at, at a higher level, the importance that a mental performance coach can have in the game of golf. You brought up a very key point where I, I start with every single client. And even when I do a lot of seminars in golf schools, I start with three basic questions. Uh, the first question, is the mental game of golf important? Everybody raises their hand. Question number two, do you currently train the mental game? I get very, very few hands that get up in the air. So there has been a disconnect is that we all believe this is a something that's important for performance, yet nobody's training it in a formal way. Uh, and if even if somebody does raise their hand, I say, so what are you doing? Um, I do have a pre-shot routine that I work on. Okay, fine. That's at least a starting point. But I think the third question is really where I spend most of my time with is in order to train something, we have to define what it is in the first place. Okay. And this is where we're going to get all kinds of different answers, by the way is what is the mental game? What are we actually training? And that's, to me, is really what the fun part of it and the exciting part of this part of performance coaching or mental performance is there's, I think, a lot of layers to this. And when I look at it, um, I go with the, the basic stuff first. When people raise their hand, it, it, it could be confidence. It could be focus. It could be emotional regulation. It could be how I practice. It could be... Um, how I, I prepare for tournaments. And, and there's a lot of subtopics underneath all those things. Okay. And right. so people throw out breathing and visualization. Great. Those would be tools to utilize to help us. What I consider the mental game is your performance state. What state are you in mentally, emotionally, and physically as you execute a golf shot? Okay. Now that again, we've all experienced where we want to throw the clubs in the lake. That used to be me in college, right? The frustration of dealing with poor shots and just slamming clubs and, and being frustrated for 18 holes. That's going to get in the way of my, my focus and my decision-making and literally how I feel. Frustration will, for me, get tighter and swing faster. That's not what I practiced on the range for so long. So state management is how I kind of try to put it into a, a simpler definition, uh, is what state are you in shot to shot? Well, it starts mentally. What am I focusing on? Cognitively, what am I thinking about? Those thoughts mm -hmm. can now trigger emotions. What emotions going through my body? Am I confident? Am I calm? Am I excited? Am I still angry because of the three putt I made? You know, those are a lot of things going on. And then that literally leads to a physical state. Am I holding on tight and steering the ball? Don't go left. Am I getting quick under pressure and I snap hook it left? 
So a lot of people, they, they look at it as too bad of the big picture. Yeah, 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 it's important. But then if they had a poor shot or if they have a poor round of golf, they immediately go to, well, I got to work on my swing. Now, again, I'm a swing mm-hmm. coach, so I am I totally understand cause and effect. I know why a ball goes where it goes. The club face is open. The ball goes to the right. Totally get it. I'm not arguing that. I'm saying is that why does that swing show up a little differently, shot to shot, round to round, and that's where my bias comes in is the mental game. So I, I went back to school and got a doctorate in sports psychology about 17 years ago because I wanted to know more about what are the best in, it doesn't mean golf, but the best in the world doing to perform under pressure. And that's kind of where I went down that rabbit hole really, really quick. So well, to get back to your original kind of question is that I don't think people know what the mental game is, so they don't know where to go with it. So I start with a lot mm. of very basic worksheets, very basic self-awareness tools, very basic things to get people to think, now that I think about it, I was over that shot and my last thought was don't go right. And it tensed me up. Of course, I'm not going to swing it well. Okay. Now I go high level stuff. I use uh, EEG brainwave activity stuff to, to measure brainwaves in real time and, and stress response, heart rate variability. So I can use metrics now, which are really cool because if I go that next layer and people go, yeah, yeah, I'm training it. How do we know it's working? Right. And so I can put a, uh, this thing called focus calm where my company is in partnership with, and you can hit balls with it on. You can hit balls and it can show me how much brainwave activity is going. And it can tell me if you're in a stress response or more of what we call a, a flow response happening in real time. And so now we can use mm-hmm. breathing and visualization and these different things to monitor that state. That's what I get passionate about right there. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're talking about like the, the mapping. You, you could see, you know, brain activity when visually, what does that look like? And, and what does it look like when your players emotions or, or brain activity is a little bit more heightened versus when they're in that flow state? What does that look like to you? Sure. Yeah. So the device we use um, uh, to have it so you can swing with it is uh, what, again, I'll call a basic EEG device. Okay. So we're measuring brainwave activity, uh, either getting ramped up in a high beta to um, where you and I are talking right now. We're in a beta We're we're talking, we're listening, we're, you know, and that's good. That's where we need to be. If it gets too high and ramped up and I get stressful thoughts, don't go right, don't go left, that the the number on this app will go down. Okay. It's going to go down below mm-hmm. 35 and, and what we call active or stress response. As somebody calms that thinking pattern down, which is part of, you know, as a performance coach, I'm I'm changing breathing rates, I'm using visualization, I'm using how the eyes work, I'm using practice swings. Um sensory type thing, mindfulness, all these different things to see what helps them go from one state to the next. Okay. So a lot of it is back and forth. There's not one size fits all. Okay. Now, if you do a lot of this brain mapping at a university, okay. And they put a, you know, a hundred different things on your brain. Um, then you can map things quite accurately. The problem is you can't hit a golf ball with on, and I can't put you in a stressful situation. So there's great stuff at home or at a university that we can put you on the highest tech stuff and help you with mindfulness and help you with uh, neurofeedback. But now we need to translate that from I'm at home in a closed environment to I'm on the 18th hole of the masters with a one shot lead. (laughs) And I see the leaderboard there. That's a different, you know, 
that's a different experience. It's a different environment. <laughs> so my goal is to help somebody train the mental game so it can transfer to as many different environments as possible. Um, and again, some people are triggered by different things in different situations. Some people embrace pressure. A Colin Morikawa loves pressure. It helps him actually increase his focus in a good way. Other people pressure, oh, I don't like it. I don't play well under pressure. Their, their focus goes all over the place and it interferes with their performance. So yeah, the brain mapping stuff, and it's going to get cool in the next few years with augmented reality and virtual reality where we can put you in those situations and then you're, you know, you're, you got your Oculus or whatever on and we can see what the heart rates do. We can see that. And then we can intervene and say, Hey, try this, try that. So it's, it's going to be really cool because other parts of golf performance with all the radar systems and the gears and the 3d and the, and the ground force stuff is ahead of where mental game is as far as measurables, but the mental game is going to catch up here in the next five years. And it's going to be really, really cool. One thing that I'm curious about is as a swing and mental coach on the swing side, it's very easy to get uh, to have awareness and get instant feedback on a shot. You, you you hit it, you see it. The player usually has a, a pretty good understanding of what went wrong. When it becomes to the mental side, how do you start with a, a player, a new player, as far as the awareness of, of, of learning about those feelings and and having them be aware of those things like how does that how does that work no it's a it's a good question and i would even maybe argue that a lot of players don't actually know why the ball goes where it goes um so even in a physical thing the ball goes to the right and um and they you got to remember a lot of golfers don't take even golf lessons much less mental so so they saw True. something on instagram or something on the the TaylorMade plus app and they want to be able to go oh, okay i'm going to try that fantastic but they might not be the right thing to try because they don't know the true cause and effect. Okay. But let's say somebody does, they go, yeah, I understand my ball went to the right. Cause my path was into out with a club face was three degrees open. And they kind of have that idea and they know that they tilt and they, now that's getting very, very technical. Okay. But from a mental game standpoint, I ask pe people to clarify a few things. One in a pre-shot routine, I ask a lot of questions. So for instance, if, if I was asking all of you, it's the second shot on a par four, um, and we walk down and we put our bag down, okay? What would you be focusing on right now? Okay. Now, again, we're not pulling a club yet, everybody, and these are some of the videos that are in the TaylorMade app, right, is the TaylorMade Plus app, is I go through a lot of videos on pre-shot routine and post-shot routine, but focus is, flow follows focus. Peak performance is about focus first. What am I paying attention to in this moment, is it relevant or not? Mm. Okay. So I'm, when I get a new student, I go pre-shot routine first and talk to them about the, the importance of focus. Okay. And one of my, my favorite things to do is, is in a playing lesson is put a ball down on a second shot for a par four. And I ask the student, tell me about the lie of the ball. Cause I think that the lie dictates the shot. Right. And if I get somebody says, oh, it's a bad lie or a good lie, I want to strangle them. That's irrelevant if it's a good lie or a bad lie. But if the ball's sitting below my feet and has a tendency to go low right and I need to aim 18 feet to the, to the left and I need to take an act, now we got problem solving. They're focusing on the correct mm. cue to make a decision. Most people get judgmental. Oh, I got unlucky again. Oh, this is bad luck. It's like, well, that's irrelevant. 
how are you going to problem solve the shot? Okay. So, yeah. co- uh, so focus is related to emotions and how we're, we look at that. The, the end of the routine though, is I ask a question that some people have a difficult time with is, were you committed to the shot? Mm. And they go, well, what do you really mean? I go, well, it's really two steps. Do you believe you have the correct decision? Let's say you're in between clubs. It's a, it's a, a full eight iron. It's a three quarter seven iron, right? There's a decision to be made. When you go into that shot, are you committed to the decision? Okay. That's step one. Step two, are you committed that you could actually execute the decision, which is confidence? And some people mm-hmm. are like, oh, I hit that shot anyways. I was, but I should have hit that other. And their their mind is never fully focused on what they want, and the confidence of them doing it is is there's a little doubt, there's a little interference. They hit a shot, and let's say they hit it short right, and then they blame their swing. To me, that's the opportunity of looking at the mental game. You you probably the decision you weren't even conf- comfortable with, you weren't confident with it with the overall execution of it good luck, right? But people want to keep blaming physical reasons for their game. And I get it because that's easy. Oh, the ball went right and short. I mishit it and the club face was open. Fine. But if you had the true awareness to back back up and go, I was never committed to that shot in the first place. I never thought through all my variables Mm -hmm. very well. Then to me, you're doing yourself a disservice. I think you can truly get better at decision-making if you're more aware, your commitment, am I confident or not, and such. So, those are the things that I start with. And again, there's, it can now branch off depending on the player, um, where they go, but that's, that's kind of my answer on that. I know we're not on a golf course right now. None of us have golf clubs in our hands. Is there an exercise that we would be able to potentially do with you right now, right here that helps underscore some of this theory that you're talking about? Maybe use one of us as a, as an example. Well, sure. I'll have all three of you do this actually at, um, from a mental perspective, my study in sports psychology has a lot more to do with what we call positive psychology, flow states, optimal states. Um, there are some clinical psychologists out there that talk a lot about what's wrong with people and anxieties and stuff like that. Um, and and, and mm. again, that's different viewpoints of it. I come from it that mm. all of us have played great golf at a time. I don't care if it's a three-hole stretch. Okay, We all have tapped into it. So what I would want anybody to remember, and one of the questions on my assessment always is, so when you were in a flow state, where did it happen? When did it happen? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? What were you hearing? And I I want us to remember those times and reinforce them because I believe there's a lot of recipe, there's a lot of ingredients to the recipe that can be uncovered if you actually ask those questions. So I don't, you, all three of you could tell me a time when you were at your best. Okay. And yeah. you'll start to, and, 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 and usually what I get is people can say, yeah, I hit the ball well, but I start getting other things like, wow, it's just easy that day. And I was just focused. And I was relaxed and I was calm mm. and I was playing with my buddies. And we start hearing that it's more state than it is. Yes. I mm. had my right elbow in an 89 degree position on the way down and my yeah shallowing out of the eye they probably are not going to remember that as much as what the state they were in. So I, all three of you yeah. can tell me, you remember a time when you played your best golf? I, oh, I absolutely do. <laughs> so Bradford, mm. tell me what, tell me when that happened, where it happened, all that good stuff. Uh, it, was, it was this past summer, actually. Um, 
playing with a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time. It was on one of my favorite courses in LA. And I don't know what, what put me in the mood that, you know, my, my mood was so good that day. Uh, Maybe it was a combination of like, I love this course. I love this person. Um, But my confidence was on a trillion that day. Mm. Like I was literally, I was literally able to see, you know, geese 330 yards away and be like, I'm aiming for those geese. And I was able to do it. (laughs) I've never been able, I've never done that before, but for whatever reason, like I was like them, that stake there, I'm taking that it over that tree, over and I was doing it. <laughs> He's killing his geese, Val. Oh, that's a little pest control. <laughs> I couldn't quite reach him, but that was my target. <laughs> but now that you have the new stealth, too, you can get a 330 now, right? Hey, we got to talk hey. about that, Rick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, we got to talk so about we that. In the mail. We'll, three, we'll follow up on that. Three key things of that. You said attitude, right? Your mood, your attitude was great. Yeah. Um, you had a confidence about you. And then what I heard from you with uh, is a clarity of focus. You could see something in the distance exactly what you wanted. To me, those are trainable skills. I can train focus. Confidence is a skill. And attitude's an interesting one because I work with a lot of players of pre-round warm-up. What do you do before you get to the the golf course will mm. shift our mood and shift our attitude. I mean, if I'm in L.A. traffic, I live in Los Angeles area, and I'm in traffic and I'm running late, I only have 12 minutes before my tea time and I get out, I, uh, <laughs> that's different than I got there, had a little breakfast, chilling with my friends, beautiful day. I mean, that's environmental though, okay? Mm-hmm. So I can't always guarantee you're going to get to play with your buddies on your favorite course, but there is something that can be stretched that that can be extracted from that is like, huh, what, what led to all that confidence? What led to that clarity? What that, and we can reverse engineer from there. So I, I talk a lot about flow triggers. What are the things that can trigger a flow state or, you know, listening to my favorite music on the way to, I'm a very, um, energetic guy. So I listen to little guns and roses before I get to the T, you know, it's like that gets my, my energy yeah. level up. Right. Okay. Other people, they may need to do need to do 10 minutes of mindfulness meditation to calm themselves down at the hotel or at mm. home. You got to find out what works for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's where we want to take from all three of you guys is when you played your best and it could be, you swung great that day. Awesome. Then I would want to know how the swing swing felt. And a lot of people, oh, you know what? I really swung within myself. I swung at 80%. I swung, great. Why don't we repeat that a little bit more, right? Mm. And so I, I ask those questions before I ask in, so when was the last time you played like crap? Well, last week, Rick, and let me tell you about it. And then we get back into <laughs> too much of what's wrong. And yes, we'll get down to what interferes and what may lead to some of the poor performance. I, of course, cover that. But I want people to remember they've done it before. They can do it again. And that the, and the yeah. little white ball doesn't move. Nobody's guarding you. Nobody's. So you actually have 30 seconds ahead of time. You have the time you get to the course. You have the warm up. That's a lot of downtime for you to be able to uh, train your thoughts, trigger your emotions, and get you in the optimal state. Mm. I heard something the other day that was um, really eye-opening for me. 
you're playing a round of golf. You're playing 18 holes, regulation, par 72. You're playing golf. The amount of time that you're actually making a golf movement is about one minute, maybe 90 seconds over the course of that four and a half to five hours that you're right. at the golf course playing golf. Think about that, that, that ratio for a second, like 60 to 90 seconds of actually swinging a golf club. I think it drives home your point, Rick, that so much else around the performance of on that 90 seconds is all, it's all the, the meta data. It's all of, it's all the story and the narrative and the feeling and the atmosphere around that actual performance. Exactly. And yet we, yeah, and we, yet we don't really coach it too much. We may talk a little bit about pre-shot routine. Great. But then other than that, I don't hear a lot of people talking about post-shot routine, which I would love to talk about in a moment, or what I call transition phase. Ooh. How do you go from one shot to the next shot, that two, three, four, five minutes in between? Are you being aware of that and conscious of that? Or are you just ruminating a, a negative about what you just did on last hole? And that leads to more fear on the next shot. And before you know it, 18 holes, you're exhausted, not physically, mentally. Mm. You've beaten yourself up so much throughout the whole round of golf. Is like, oh, I can't wait to get to the 19th hole or whatever. It's like, wait a second. You could have done things in between shots to manage your energy, manage your focus. And a lot of that's emotional energy of us beating ourselves yeah. up, not being able to um, focus on what's relevant. And so that's what intrigues me. Again, I, I love helping people play better golf. Don't get me wrong, but I want them to enjoy it more. I mean, we get, we, we love this mm. game. We get hooked on it yet. A lot of people after the rounds, oh, round was horrible. I can't believe I played this game. And of course it brings us right back in, but why can't we enjoy mm -hmm. it? And, um, and that's the, the tricky part is that we put so much of our enjoyment wrapped into performance that there's just this correlation. I'll enjoy it if I play well. And I think right. that that's, that in and of itself is, um, a, uh, a poor, definition of why we play i think there's other reasons to play golf i talk motivations with people why do you play golf right so so drew why do you play golf that's a great question uh i my i think my motivation for playing has changed throughout the years but when i was younger i was very competitive and played in high school and in college and then took some time off and now i play because i it's it's a place for me to get away from the the worries of, of life so um when you're when you're a kid and you're competing that's your goal. It's like winning and, and getting better. And now that I'm an adult with uh, married with kids, it's this is my chance to get away from from life stresses. And I'm just out here to enjoy myself. So um, it's it's funny that I actually play better golf now as an adult with a, a better headspace in my game versus when I was actually playing competitively at a, a relatively high level uh, when I was younger. Exactly. Yeah. So why we play is, is I think, lost in all of this. Um, I agree with you. I my, I call it my relationship with golf has changed throughout the years from a, a D1 college player to, to a coach to now I get to play maybe once a month on really good golf courses with friends. And I just look forward to playing and being with buddies and trash talking and, you know, all that kind of stuff is that <laughs> I, I, it's not about what I shot that day. Do I want to hit good shots? Of course I do. But when I'm in college, it was only about performance and shooting in low score. Don't let my teammates down. Don't let my coach down. And it was a stress that probably interfered with my performance. But again, why do people play? And I think a lot of 12 handicaps treat it like they're a tour pro sometimes. It's like, 
cool your jets, okay? You don't put the time in, so your expectation <laughs> level is completely out off the the rockers, and um, and you're not being fair to yourself throughout a round of golf, uh, and you're beating yourself up. So th- that's where I think I, we all need a little check of we. It's a great game to play. It's going to have its ups and downs, but there's many reasons to play it other than just what you shoot that day. Not to mention the mm. the performance expectations. If we are to, de- to define why we play golf as I want to play well, which I think a lot of amateurs do, the performance expe- expectations get out, out of hand pretty quickly too because their only examples are folks like Colin Morikawa who are hitting 250-yard seven irons and sticking it to three and a half <laughs> feet every time. It's like the, the expectation becomes I have to be doing this too, right? Exactly. And I think that's where the the stats and data, I mean, even like with the TaylorMade Plus app is that you're now tracking your round of golf. I think it gives us a better um, realistic understanding of where our performance is at, right? Is like I ask players all the time from 100 yards from the middle of the fairway, um, and I hate this word should, but I use it, how close should you hit it, right? Mm. And and again, that's a it's a double-edged sword, that question. But you get this, well, I should hit it to 10 feet. And I go, really? I said, the average tour player is 14 feet, 10 inches, and you're better than them. Wow, I didn't know that, right? Hmm. And they're like a 10 handicap. So perspective of stats now is actually, I think, helped in expectation management yeah. is that you can see that a Colin Morikawa is, let's say, 21.5 feet from 150, and you hit it to 30 feet and hit it on the green from 150, you should be jumping mm-hmm. up and down, okay? Yeah. But it's like, no, I should hit it to 12 feet. It's like, no, you shouldn't. Okay. <laughs> so when when we start to, I think that's where the data can help us. And when you track your rounds and, and TaylorMade, um, you know, plus app is that you're now getting a more realistic understanding. Now we want to keep getting better. No question. But in the moment, if we're getting down on ourselves because we hit it to 30 feet from 150, that's going to be a big mm-hmm. problem um, mm-hmm. as far as emotions are concerned. Because expectations are unrealistic and it's harder to bounce back after that when we keep beating ourselves up. So that's where I think that I'm not a huge data geek on stats, but I think certain ones can help us manage our expectations a lot better. I'm happy if I hit the fat part of the green, you know, that's (laughs) if I'm 150 yards out, I'm aiming for the fat part of the green. Great. Point blank period (laughs) in managing my expectations. (laughs) Good. And more people, again, should be doing yeah. that. Um, speaking of the My TaylorMade Plus app, you know, the reason we're all here, um, what do you hope that users can gain from their experience using My TaylorMade Plus app? What, what are some of your favorite features? What are, what are, you know, what's something you really hope someone takes away from their experience? Yeah, I was excited, you know, working on this project for the last few years and how it's evolved from, um, you know, there's a lot of information out there. We know that. And to have everything, I want to say everything, but so many key parts into one app, I think it makes it user-friendly um, uh, to have somebody who can yeah, do basic stats, do some very detailed stats, use it as a GPS. That's the thing of the playing of the game, which I think is going to add value to um, somebody playing a round of golf. Okay. Then we take that data and we take that, you know, realistic. Now when we talk to expectations and go, oh, that's where my game's at. That's where my strokes gained is for putting. That's 
oh, okay, I thought that was better. But, you know, now that I've seen these 10 rounds, I can really see where I'm at. Mm. Then I think it helps our practice. I think it helps us create a plan. And what I like about the app is that, it, you know, there's certainly some great videos for so many really good uh, tailor-made uh, uh, teaching pros in there, uh, myself being one of them, and that you can get some great uh, fundamental feedback on some of the videos, right? Oh, yeah, I never thought about chipping like that. Okay, cool. Um, what I also like about it, and, and a lot of that's gone viral, is all of these tailor-made staff pros on tour, the mm. the Colin Morikawa's and Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy and Scotty Schefflers, you know, you're now hearing from them and how they do things, I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, not that you have to copy them, but so a lot of that, what their mindsets are and how they create shots. And I think there's the other layer of you know, I'll plug myself, is that we have a mental game component in there where we have several videos where we're talking about pre-shot routine mm -hmm. and post-shot routine and goals and motivations, right? And then I think there's the other cool part, like with Chris Trott, is, uh, is learning about it, how he goes about things and he talks to people and brings people in. So I think from a standpoint of you can, you can in the moment use the app for GPS and getting clarity and uh, stat tracking so now you can get a reality of like, okay, what areas could I work on? And then you have all these resources within the app to help me work on chipping. Oh, I'll look at these videos. And you know what? Yeah, that mental game is important. I'm going to click on a few of these things I think is important. That's just the playing part of it, which I think is cool. And I'm not a huge equipment geek, but to be able to go into that app and be able to look at all the cool uh, equipment and all the stuff that the pros are using and all the cool stuff that is, you know, for members only all, I mean, to me, it's like this, this one app that can do everything for that golfer. And, uh, so that's, what's exciting about me is that I, it's evolved from, you know, maybe just a stat tracker to some videos to just this all encompassing place that, uh, all golfers really need to be at, uh, to not only improve their game, but I think it's just the, the, just the love of the game. There's so many cool features within it. Yeah, that access to minds like yours and Trotty's, as you mentioned, and um, and the pros themselves is just, it's so cool to be able to peek behind the curtain and see how, like you said, they get creative and what all the factors are that go into their heads as they're creating a shot, assessing variables and stuff like that. You've used the word flow a couple times in this conversation, and I know that's a big principle of yours. I'm wondering if you can help me better understand what that means, what like a flow state is when you're on the golf course and how like I might be able to better identify what my flow state looks like, what the prime conditions are for me to enter a flow state, this kind of like ethereal space. <laughs> when, when I went back to school, uh, for the doctorate program uh, back then, you know, 20 years ago, 18 years ago, um, it would be labeled the zone, right? I was playing in the zone and mm. people, they, they kind of that word, they kind of kind of know it's like, oh, yeah, you know, but now uh, we fast forward, especially in the last five years, that word is now being replaced with slow because that's an actual researched state. OK, mm. so we know brainwave activity that goes with a flow state. Now, flow is optimal performance. We feel our best um, and we perform our best. And it's not about grinding. It's not about it's it's actually there's an effortless part of it. There's less thinking going on in the moment of swinging the club. There's usually more creativity. Uh, there's more playfulness. There's different mindsets that go with it. Um, and there's an ease that goes about it. 
you certainly are focusing and there's a ton of energy that is focusing on the present moment. Hmm. Um, yet it's more of like when we're a kid uh, and flow state happens a lot when we're a kid from the age of zero to eight. Um, we're non-critical, very creative, very playful. We're just in the moment. Can I know it's yeah. cliche to say one shot at a time, but it is one shot at a time, fully immersed in the present moment is flow state. Okay. Yet when we look at the opposite of what interferes, a lot of people, it's a lot of critical voice and beating themselves up and overthinking their swing thoughts and don't go right. And, uh, and stress, right. That that's becomes now kind of the opposite end of it. Fear state is the opposite of a flow state. Mm. And a lot of golfers, um, and in life, we're in a fear state. Uh, mm. we're stressed out. We have a fight or flight response. We don't want that. And a flow state is actually taking on a challenge. Okay. Mm. Uh, I have a, a really good friend of mine who's a neuroscientist and he says, Rick, it really comes down to one simple concept here is that, and we'll use golf as an example, this shot that you have, are you looking at it as a threat or a challenge, <laughs> a threat or a challenge? A lot of us are looking at a lot of our shots mm, as a threat totally. and that kicks in a fear response of don't do this. We don't take, we don't like threats challenge. We go, okay. Let's bring it on. Let's try it. Let's do this, right? We take it on. And that's what a flow state is, is about taking on challenges, being focused, uh, fully immersed in the moment, trusting our our skills, really. Mm. Um, and we are now finding out that nine holes goes by and we go, really? I'm three under? I didn't even know what I was shooting, right? Mm. Because we're so immersed in the moment to moment, it's not about outcome. We're not attached to what may or may not happen. Um, and yeah, so it's a state that we know has a, uh, a physiological response. So we know the brain waves, we know there's neurochemicals, all this cool stuff that we can now measure, um, which we couldn't 20 years ago, to be honest with you, but now we can. So we know it is a state. Now, everybody can trigger the state differently. Hmm. We can use music, we can use visualization, we can use breathing rates, we can use, you know, different things. So we're, we're trying to figure out what kind of what your flow code is. What what's your code that's going to help you get into a flow state? So I can go in a whole bunch of different directions right now, but that's <laughs> you know flow is peak performance. We play at our best and we feel our best. I feel like I've become I, a better golfer already. I know. <laughs> yeah, masterclass. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I need to, I need to get to the range immediately. Right. <laughs> yeah, get get the Guns and Roses but going okay, in the let's car. Let's talk about that. So if you go to the range, honestly, let's talk about where you go to the range and all those TaylorMade Plus members now, if you're going to go to the range now, is what would you do from a mental game perspective, right? Mm. And I think if we can become more aware of our thinking patterns and what we're feeling emotionally, that's a starting point. And then, yes, there could be technical stuff underneath that of pre-shot routine. Are you looking at the the lie and the wind and the yardage? And are you very clear on your uh, picture of what you're doing? You can actually work on your visualization skills can you see a shot in a different color shot tracer could you mm. you know one of my favorite stories i was working with a very good college player back in the day and he was probably the most analytical player i'd ever worked with okay everything was track man numbers this and don't forget about this angle and whatever and i half jokingly said okay i want you to see this five iron with a pink shot tracer with glitter on it and when the ball hits the green it explodes into fireworks Okay. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, he looked at me and and I can't I can't tell you exactly what he said because I want to keep this PG thirteen, <laughs> but it's basically it's basically what the blank are you talking about, Rick? Okay. So 
But but he hits the shot, and I go, you couldn't help but think about Pink Shot Tracer with glitter, and he goes, yeah. <laughs> so I got into his creativity a little bit more instead of his analytical mind, which had to be perfect, and his golf swing had to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So we can get creative, everybody. We can try different shots on the range. We can try to hit a Murakawa cut, and then we can try to you know hit a different shot and hit it high and hit it low. And to me, that's playing the game. And I think that's part of what's lost a little bit now in this in, in this age of everything has to be perfect and your track man numbers have to be this, this, and this. It's like, wait, let's play golf again. Let, let's hit some flop shots. Let's hit some button bumped and runs. Let's hit some different mm -hmm. windows in, in a building, see if I can hit it. And I think if we can, in our range sessions, add a little creativity. I don't, if it's just five minutes of your hour, fine. Mm -hmm. But start seeing shots, start feeling them, start creating, I think is going to help your golf game right, a lot. Let's play. Yeah, that's yeah. That is yeah, novel it's idea. A, it's huh? a game. Yeah. yeah, it's a game. At the end of the day, uh, creativity. Hmm. You you brought up quite a few times. I love that. Uh, I want to pull on that thread a little bit. When <laughs> you gave a pr brilliant example, pink glitter. That's so that's so fun to think about. <laughs> I'm um, thinking about that. I'm, I'm, th I'm thinking about that now. Put a smile on your face. Right. Just trying it, right. right. And that's the thing is that, but the visualization is one to get clarity on what I want. But there's also a, a, a childlike part of that, too, that is yeah. fun, right? Um, I ask um, a, a players a lot, do you do trouble shots well or recovery shots well? And I I get a lot of, yes, Rick, you should see me. I'm a magician out of the trees and all this stuff. And I go, oh, isn't that interesting? You don't practice those mm -hmm. shots. You don't practice that exact shot. Now you practice full seven irons a lot. What happened? Why are we pulling off some of these shots at a high success rate? I believe is mental. I believe our clarity is crystal clear. I believe we allow ourselves to just, ah, who cares? Let's just let it go. Right. And there's a, there is a state of flow in that, that is fun and childlike and challenging and stuff like that, that of course I want to take to more and more mm -hmm. shots uh, as we go. Well, it's funny you say that Rick earlier, you said that, you know, every golf shot is either a challenge or a fear. And just speaking personally, I find that if I'm if I'm in the middle of the fairway, center cut, I've hit a great drive on a par four, I've got, you know, nine iron in my hand and I'm 145 yards out, that shot presents so much more as a fear to me than if I've duck hooked my drive into the woods and I'm hitting a little punch four iron to a green that I have no business hitting. That feels like yes. so much more of a fun, creative challenge to me. And I don't know why. It's true. I've seen him do it. <laughs> Well, uh, Con Connor <laughs> truly, Connor it was, can. It was in international waters. They couldn't. They couldn't prosecute. He can get up and down from damn near anywhere, anywhere. with any club. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. And it, it back to the expectations, guys. Is that when the expectations get higher and higher and higher, people feel pressure, like the four footer, right? Yeah. Do you expect to make a 15 footer? People say, no, I have a nice free stroke. They make a 15 footer. Once they get to the four footer, I better make this or I'm going to embarrass myself or my playing partners are going to give me this. Blah, blah, blah. I bet, you know, and it's, it's expectation management within the shot. When we have a trouble shot or a flop shot, the expectation is not as high. Let's be honest. Right. And there's that playful part of, I can't wait to challenge myself. This is going to be cool. We don't always use that from middle of the fairway. Um, I have a lot of top players that, you know, from the middle of the fairway, they either get super pressured, like, I don't want to screw this up because it's an easy shot, 
or they take it for granted and they don't have the same focus. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a standard little 60 degree width. And then they hit it to 50 feet in the front right bunker going, how'd that happen? Right. Mm. Is because they weren't fully engaged because they took it for granted that it was lazy, those type of things. So it can work on both sides. I don't want it to always just be, oh, it's a threat. That means that sometimes we get bored on the golf course easily. Ah, it's an easy shot. And we don't have the full focus there either. So right. it can work both ways, but a lot of it's expectation management before we hit the shot that will trigger focus too. Rick, I have so much respect for you and this approach. I think this is super enlightening for the three of us. And I imagine every single person who's listening, like, and, and that goes for coaches in general, because I think like the, the value proposition of a coach as a person is to unlock something within the people that they're working with. And I think that's just a really beautiful selfless thing. So I wanted to give you your your flowers there like you've you've helped so many people get better in various definitions of what getting better actually means to each one of those people. That's so interesting. And I think it it in for golf in particular because it's such an individual sport, you know, you have coaches like Bill Belichick, Phil Jackson, fill in the blank who are coaching teams. You got players cycling in and out constantly. You might have, you'll have close relationships, player coach relationships there for sure. But take you, for example, you've been Colin Morikawa's coach for since he was eight years old. That's almost 20 years ago. Like, can you speak a little bit to that relationship that you are able to build with not only golfers, but just people? Like, you've been in Colin's life for a majority of his life. Can you speak a little bit about that type of relationship dynamic? Yeah, no, no, and I appreciate the the kind words. I, I take coaching uh, very seriously because I do. I get paid to do something I love, and I get to improve people's lives through it. Right? Yes, when I was a, a golf coach, I've been coaching almost thirty years myself. Is those first few years? Yeah, I just wanted people to get better scores, and then I get to know them. You get they take a lesson once a month or you get to a junior golfer with Colin. I got to see him every Tuesday afternoon, every Tuesday from the age of eight to 18 before he went to to college. And then his dad's there and his parents are there. I mean, they're wonderful. And, and you build a relationship and part of relationship is caring is I care about how they, they are not just what did you shoot, but hey, are you enjoying it? And those type of things. And then the other part is the trust factor. And, and I use Colin as an example a lot is that I don't have all the answers. Um, you know, this past, past, uh, let's see, 2022, um, Colin hired the first full-time putting coach now, right? I was a short game coach with him. I was putting coach. Now we felt, nope, we need another set of eyes. We need another, you know, and so he trusted me throughout the years to give him, uh, answers that I don't always have. Okay. And, and so now the team gets bigger. We have trainers, we have physical trainers, we have putting, he's done a little stuff with some short game people, right? Um, he has a caddy that's one of the best out there and you build now a team, but back to coaching is that, yeah, I want to develop a part of my philosophy is develop the entire person. And that's why going down the mental game rabbit hole that I did years and years ago. And I still do is that I believe there's a person playing the game, not a, uh, track man number. Okay. And that's what means a lot to me and asking tough questions and being there when you miss a cut and being there when you win a tournament and stuff like that is that that to me is going to resonate down the road a lot more is developing the person before the skill 
And um, yeah, I don't take that, that that lightly at all. Bless you. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. What does that give you, Rick, when you, when you think about all the time and energy and knowledge that you've invested into your players? Um, I mean, we brought up Colin, I mean, major winner, you know, multiple major winner. Yeah. Uh, when you think about that, what does that give back to you, knowing that you've given of yourself because of the passion that you have for this game, all the years that you've put into not only your own experiences, but then going and recruiting knowledge to give more of yourself for that to pay off. Looking back at that, how does that sit with you and how does that make you feel? It's a, it's a great question. And I think now that I'm older, I have three kids, I'm, you know, it's fulfillment, right? It's not all about happiness. It's all about fulfillment is knowing that I am leaving a better mark than, than I started. Right. And, um, you know, Yes, when Colin wins a tournament, I feel great about it, but I'm, I'm happy for him, right? He's the one who put all the hard work in. Uh, I get so much joy and fulfillment when I have, like the other day, um, a junior golfer winning a, a, a pretty big tournament and, and getting over the hump when I knew that person a year ago and they were struggling with, I don't think I'm ever going to get there. I don't think I'm going to. And it's like helping people along this, this path of life that it has so many ups and downs, as we know. Um, the fulfillment of that is is that I'm I'm helping in that way is more than when I started, let's say 30 years ago, it was about achievement. Yeah, I'm gonna if that person wins it, great. I'll tell everybody how great I am as an instructor. I it's not about me, it's about them. So it's it's more of the fulfillment that I am making a difference um mm. is what I get. I'm very fortunate day in and day out. I'm ready to run through a brick wall with a golf club in my hand. Right. You, you got us, you got us fired up. Let's go. <laughs> let's, let's hit like a couple of our meat and potatoes questions maybe. And, uh, and sure. then we'll, yep. we'll get you out of here, Rick. We'll start with a, uh, a GGT house favorite of our meat and potatoes questions. Rick, what are some of your favorite golf smells? Well, I mean, the, the, the I think what a lot of people would say is that freshly cut grass, right? When I played in college, we got to play um, a really nice golf course called Lakeside Country Club here in, in L.A. area. Mm. And we had to tee off at like 6.15 in the morning on a Friday, right? And it's before everybody else. And you get out there and you just, it's quiet, but the smell of the, they just cut the, the grass. Mm. Um, that would be one of mine. Um, that's one of my favorites. Mm. That That's mm. a, that's a GGT house favorite. <laughs> I mean, the, the, yeah. <laughs> So, so that smell, does that transport you to Lakeside? It does. And then I think that's part of when we talk about flow triggers is there's many things in our memory um, that can be triggered. And one is yeah. smell and, and one is sound and one is images and all these type of things. So just the smell now brought me back to those cold <laughs> Friday mornings or excuse me, uh, cold Monday mornings at Lakeside um, and just remembering how peaceful it was and how and just because of, like you said, the smell now brought me back to that. All of you have hit great shots, everybody who's listening. What can bring us back to those things so we can transport it to the f to the present is maybe part of the question why why you asked mm -hmm. it in the first place. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, no doubt you've played with, you know, some household names. Um, maybe it's a, a time that you've played with these folks. Maybe it's a time you played with friends and family. Can you think of a time on the golf course where you've laughed the absolute hardest? Sure. I mean, uh, I have a, a dear friend of mine. His name is Josh Albert. He's a he's an instructor 
Um, and he's actually part of my company too. And, and I told him, this is a year ago, we were playing in a fundraiser at, uh, Riviera of all places. So it's a great golf course and stuff. And I texted him afterwards and I said, Josh, thank you for allowing me to be a goofball today. <laughs> and because him mm. and I, once we start going down that road, it is just like the three stooges. Okay. <laughs> And we remembered, like, I hit a really, really, I mean, poor golf shot, like, just chunk a wedge. And he's looking at me, and he's laughing, and I'm laughing. You know, back in 30 years ago, I'm chucking that club and snapping it, but now I'm laughing about it, right? And so, uh, and and it, it could be, that would be the 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 time that I remember uh, that uh, we were just laughing the whole time and hit a few good shots, a few bad shots, making fun of each other, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that we think about a lot, and and it's probably something that you've thought about as well, is uh, like core golf memories. Like, is there is there something that stands out for you in your in your past where it you know you you went hook line and, and sinker into golf because of uh, that experience? Yeah, I, I wrote about it in my book. Um, where when I was about 16, 17 years old, I, I used to work at a golf course called uh, Griffith Park Golf Course. Um, many of you, if you're in LA, you, you know that it's a t- two public golf courses. And I would close the the pro shop down and I'd get maybe, let's say, 30 to 40 minutes worth of light still left, hop in a cart and go out. And I played by myself and I would do this is, you know, I'm a 16, 17 year old and I would play two balls. I'd play one ball as Nick Faldo and one ball as Fred Couples. <laughs> mm. OK, and so those were oh. my two golf idols back in the day. Mm. So I'm now on a golf course by myself. Sun's coming down and. Freddie Couples, you know, he's hitting a little cut, so I'd hit cuts like him, and Faldo's hit this straight to baby draw, and I'd be like that was them. I was a kid literally playing golf in this imagination type of thing. Mm. That's when I really truly loved golf is that I was by myself. I was I played a ton of other team sports, and to experience that and use my imagination, uh, those that was a very special moment for me. Um, and, you know, watching... Uh, Freddie win the the ninety two Masters on TV and seeing him at Riviera all the time and and I was fortunate that you know with Colin's success and being on the PGA Tour the Ryder Cup I got a picture in my office here of me and Freddie Couples together and there's my there's the guy and then I've uh. got to talk to Nick Faldo on the range at Augusta right and so it it comes full circle um, but that's kind of when it really when I got into the game big time. That makes me so happy for you. I love that. Thank you. No, I've been very, very fortunate. It's the payoff for a lot of work, too, and a lot of time Thank and a you. lot of care. Uh, this is a, a, a very timely question, given that it's Master's Week. Let's say you had the opportunity to to tee it up this week, and uh, you come home and you you get the job done. You get your arms inside the green jacket. The next year, they invite you back, of course, and get to host a champion's dinner in your honor. What is on your champion's dinner menu? Okay, first thing that popped in my head is loaded chicken nachos. I'm a nacho Whoa. guy. Chicken nachos. Okay. So, yeah, so we're loading it up, but the, the the chips have to be very thick. I don't I want I want to be able to no really soggy. get that. No soggy Pasties. chips. Yeah. yeah. No soggy chips, okay? Yeah, yeah. So, I would go that route a little bit more is comfort foods. Um I'm not going to be a type hey, let's have a prime rib or anything like that. Um and um, many of my friends know I'm a, uh, I like my chocolate. So there, there has to be mm. at the other end a, you know, triple decker chocolate fudge cake there, maybe a little vanilla ice cream on the side. 
all I mean, again, I, I think I would just want a bunch of comfort food on there. Love it. We're we're pulling up. Yeah. <laughs> if you're hosting the dinner, we're gonna we're gonna be there. I gotta qualify next year to get the win <laughs> to get to the final. So two years we'll have the champions dinner. Yeah, yeah, 2020, yeah. 2025, yeah, we'll be there. Yeah, we'll keep <laughs> yeah. we'll call well Well, we twenty twenty six actually. Can, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you keep yeah. loaded chicken nachos right. on the menu. We're pulling up whether it's 2026, 20, 27, 28, we're there. For for the sake of, you know, adding one more to the uh GGT walk-ups playlist. You mentioned ACDC before, but let's say you win the Griffith Park Guns Men's and Open. Roses. Oh, you did you Guns did say Guns N' Roses. 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 ACDC's fine. ACDC fine. Guns ACDC Roses, will yes. do. Yep. Well, we ha- uh, we yeah, do we have yeah. ACDC on the playlist. I don't think we have any Guns N' Roses. So let's nice. uh, let mm, let's paint the fine. picture. You you win at Wilson <laughs> in Griffith Park. Yeah, the Men's right. Open. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm three time club champion. By is the that way. right? I well. Oh yeah, ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. You can see the trophy okay. in the clubhouse. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> the brand new I make rebuilt. Sure I shine it every week when I'm in there. Rebuilt just, clubhouse, by the way, is beautiful in there. <laughs> I have a oh I you gotta you gotta time. check it out you're oh, gonna be wow. so proud I I've I have this habit of mixing questions okay you've <laughs> you've already won the championship but let's say you're teeing it up again you're defending yes. your championship you're defending that trophy and you get a song to play through the speakers as you're about to hit that first tee shot what's the song get you in that flow state okay yeah well I'm pretty vulnerable here so I mean you guys have gotten a lot out of me and and. This may go down as uh, where I'll be embarrassed, but I got to say it. So uh, it would be Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. Okay. Oh. Um, I, it, at my wedding, um, and I like to dance. So that came on and I just had the whole dance floor to that. So um, just, just so you know that that would get me, that would get me dancing, would be a very interesting pre shot routine because of <laughs> me doing those moves right beforehand. But that would get me into a flow state. I'm here for it. Vanilla <laughs> Ice, Dynamic. Ice Ice Baby, going on the GGT <laughs> walk-ups playlist. We'll share the playlist <laughs> with you. <laughs> That's going to make a lot of people happy. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Rick, you've given us so much. Um, thank you for joining us in You're this uh, in this series and and sharing your your knowledge with us. It's it's super helpful, and I think all three of us are probably ready to go to the range and and work on some creativity and uh just play the game as a as a kid there you go awesome well thank you so much for uh having me on and uh um, yeah all those golfers out there um i think we, we talked a lot about you know enjoying the round of golf enjoying the game we're very fortunate that we have this game um and i think a lot of people got to to have maybe a new relationship with it during the pandemic right it was yeah. something that could get us outside and we have recreation be with friends and stuff and i i, I want to make sure that we don't lose sight of that yes we want to shoot some lower scores and using the you know the TaylorMade plus app is going to help us have those those things to help us move forward with that but um thanks a lot for uh, having me on